Well, if you haven't figured it out yet, we are a culture that is obsessed with sex. There is nowhere that you can go, maybe to the grave, <laughs> to get away from it. I mean, think about it. I mean, everywhere you look, you drive down the road, billboards that are focused on sex. You go to check your email, your internet, access, websites, the emphasis and all those little surrounding articles focuses on sex. You turn on the TV, and it seems like every program, every writer for every program and every movie has to include sex. Have you noticed that? And it's just all over, all over, everywhere we turn. The sad part about it is the negative impact that it's having on your marriage and my marriage. Because what's happened is that in our culture is that we have equated a physical act with making love. When in our culture today, when somebody says, I want to make love, they're talking about, I want to have sex. But I have to ask you the question, and I want you to begin to think about this. Are they really the same? Is making love the same as engaging in sex? Well, biblically speaking, they're not. There's a huge difference. Gary, uh, Chapman, the author of the book that, we're, that I'm using as an outline for the series, he writes this, he says, Sex is joining two bodies. Love is the joining of two souls. I love that. I love that. What you need to get here is that just because you sex, there's sex doesn't mean that there's love involved. There can be lust, but there may not be love. But when you have love, there should also, and there should be sex, and there will be. He goes on to say, when sex grows out of love, it becomes deeply emotional. I'm really hot up here. Not that kind of hot, microphone hot. <laughs> Just seeing if you guys are awake. There you go, loosen up a little bit. It's like, man, pastor's got this sex talk, you know. Everybody's a little uneasy. It's all right. It's all right. We're all in the same boat here. So when sex grows out of love, it becomes deeply emotional, a deeply bonding experience. When having sex is nothing more than satisfying a biological urge, that's all it does. That is all it does. It is never ultimately fulfilling. And the challenge for most married couples is that we have adopted the cultural definition that making love is limited to the physical act of sex. Love in our culture is often defined as, as romantic feelings, 
and sex becomes the logical conclusion of that. We have feelings for somebody, and so we go to bed together. And in fact, in our culture today, sex outside of marriage has has become commonplace. And those that maintain their marriage vows and honor God's word, in a sense, become a minority because of the prevalence of this thinking in our culture today. And by the way, many Christians have been swept away by this. Many Christians have been swept away by this as well. You see, sex has become separated from commitment. And it's become nothing more than a form here, get this, uh, nothing more than a form of casual entertainment. Think about that for a moment. It's, it's similar to a roller coaster ride or some amusement ride. We do it for the thrill. It becomes casual entertainment. And when it's over, we look for the line to get on and to do the ride again. You see, this view of sex, unfortunately, has left many feeling emotionally empty and longing for something to fill the relational void that God has created within the human being's soul to connect intimately with your spouse. It should not come as anybody's surprise that God's design is the exact opposite. In fact, it's interesting is that when you do things God's way, there's an inherent blessing in it. I was uh, come across some statistics this week. Let me just read this. This is from WebMD. It's a secular resource online. You can look it up. And uh, it's an article from December 28, 2010. And it goes on to say this. It says, it, it, it may be common for couples to have sex before marriage, but a new study shows that couples who wait until marriage are happier with the quality of sex than couples who have intercourse before their vows. What's more, couples who delay sex until their wedding night have more stable and happier marriages than couples who have premature sex. This isn't just the Bible speaking. The Bible says this exact same thing. It said it for thousands of years from the very beginning. God said, save yourself and sex within for for marriage and and to enjoy it within the boundaries of that relationship this is a secular study and it goes on to say this uh, this, there's another study that says this that uh, that according to this study people who waited until marriage rated sexual quality 15 percent higher than people who had premature premarital sex They rated relationship stability as 22% higher, and they rated satisfaction with their relationship 20% higher. You see, the thinking today on sex that it doesn't matter and everybody's doing it doesn't cut it. There are consequences, and whether you know Christ or not, when you do things God's way, there is an inherent blessing that comes into your life. And secular researchers are seeing what God has said. We're so easy to to compromise, and many times we get to the place where there is not, for instance, in the last, last statistic, there is not satisfaction in the relationship, and you wonder how much of that is a consequence because of the choices that we have made to do things our way or the culture's way. This morning as we talk about making sex an act of love, 
I'm not going to get into a how-to on it. There's tons of resources on that. There's great Christian resources on it. But, uh, and if you need some ideas on resources, uh, talk to me or my wife, and uh, we'll be happy to point you down that road. But my goal this morning, as we focus on this area of tension in a marriage relationship, is to encourage you and your spouse to embrace a biblical perspective in this necessary and vital area of your marriage. My encouragement is to encourage you to to push aside the cultural opinions and beliefs and embrace what God has to say because that's where the blessing in your relationship, not only physically in the performance side of it, but also emotionally. And the first thing I want us to see here is something that needs to be said by pastors and by me and by other men of, that, that, that teach and instruct in God's word. Go ahead and write this down in your outlines there. What's it say there? God created what? Sex. Sex. If God created it, that makes it evil, right? What does it make it? Good. What I want you to see is, is that is that Christians have been reframed in our culture as, as being narrow-minded and prudish and all of these things. And in fact, at one point in the church is that the church spoke out so much against the wrong uses of sex, they failed to elevate an emphasis that God created it and it is to be enjoyed. It's a wonderful thing. And it enhances and develops and completes when it's truly done relationally in a marriage relationship. And as we go back and as we've looked at the creation account, I want to touch on it real quick. I want to point out one verse to you this morning. And if you look at it there on your outlines, Genesis 2, 24 and 25, it says this. This is where God is conducting the first wedding ceremony. He brings Adam and Eve together. We have this excerpt from what God said. And we know from New Testament quotes of this by Jesus in Matthew 19, that this is the basis, this is God's desire for all marriages and for your marriage. And he says this, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they will become one flesh. And that one flesh is talking about the physical relationship and some other things we've touched on in the past. We're seeing that when God brought Adam and Eve together, he intended for them to have sex. He intended for them to sleep together. In fact, many times in the Bible, the term uh, a man knew his wife talks about the intimate relationship. And what do we see here that this perfect man and this perfect woman, look at the next sentence there, and it says, and the man and his wife were both naked and were ashamed. Is that what it says? It says they were not ashamed. Why were they not ashamed? It's because this is what God had orchestrated for the two of them to be one. The complementary nature of God's design not only worked in the emotional aspects of life and in life's responsibilities for accomplishing the tasks, but it also is evident in the hardware that God gave Adam and gave Eve and gave the husband and gave the wife. This is, this is very important. God is for sex. 
He is. He's for it, though, in the marriage relationship because of the benefit that it brings. And he tells us is that when we ignore his boundaries and guidelines, there will be consequences. And unfortunately, we as a culture are seeing that and the lack of satisfaction and the emptiness and and all of the other stuff that trickles down because of the culture's view of sex as just a thrill ride without any need for commitment. That leads me to the second point here, and I want you to see this. Uh, It comes from uh, Proverbs chapter 5. Go ahead and write this down in your outline, and it's this, that God created sex to be enjoyed in marriage. This might sound blasphemous to you, but God wants you to have a blast under the sheets. He does. He does. That's what he designed it. That's the way he he made it to work the way that it works. Yeah. I mean, you you think I'm crazy. Look at Proverbs 5 here. Let's take a look at that. Bring that up on the PowerPoint here. Solomon, the smartest guy that's ever lived, the Bible tells us. He is speaking to his son. He's having a little sex talk. And we get a glimpse of it. And uh, he says this um, in uh, Proverbs 5, verses 15 through 19. He says some other things too, but he warns his son against getting sucked into uh, the lust of of the culture and and the lust and, and acting out in a way that dishonors God. He encourages his son to, to, he speaks on psychological aspects, he speaks on financial and moral and spiritual dangers of having sex outside of marriage. And here he says to his son, listen to this, he says, drink waters from your own cistern, flowing waters from your own well, should the springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. Now, you read that language and you think, Pastor Joe, he's talking about drinking water. Uh Uh-uh, uh-uh, he's talking about enjoying your spouse. The language here is what we would call, it's filled with euphemisms. You know what a euphemism is? A euphemism is talking about a sensitive area in culture that we can't speak of directly because it would be considered to be crass or crude or vulgar right? If I needed to go, I wouldn't say, I'll be back in a minute, I'm going to go take a poop. Now that's being nice, I'm using clean language here. I don't say it that way. What would I say? Some of the things I might say is, well, I got to use the men's room, or I got to use the facilities, right? That's a euphemism. We have all kind of euphemisms. Every language has them, and the Bible is filled with euphemisms. This language here isn't talking about a well to get a drink of water to be satisfied. It's a euphemism for the, for the physical relationship. And as Solomon speaks to his son, he says, find your fulfillment in your marriage partner, in your spouse, in your wife. Let them be yours alone uh, and not for strangers. Let the fountain be blessed. You can figure that out. You're smart enough. And rejoice in the wife of your youth 
a lovely deer, a graceful doe. And look at it right here. I should have you guys read this to see how embarrassed you get. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. I don't know. I don't know how it gets any better than that, right? I mean, God is saying, I want you to have a blast between the sheets. Because he knows what it means to the marriage relationship. He's designed you. He instituted marriage. He created everything. Not only is sex good, but it is to be enjoyed. I realize that there's other purposes for sex, procreation, having kids, filling the earth. But I don't know that one of the priorities is more important than the other. They are kind of equally ranking. And right at the top is to, is to be able to enjoy your spouse. And our culture has robbed us of that. It's diluted it. It's polluted it. It's corrupted it. And so many times, this area of the physical relationship becomes an intense battle between the husband and wife rather than being what God had intended it to be. Let me just be clear real here, clear again. I know we got some young people here that aren't married yet. I just want to be very clear, uh, and let me just say this, is that these teachings mean that sex before you are legally married. Some people will say, well, we're married in the eyes of God. That's, that's a lie. You are not married in the eyes of God until you have followed the legal customs of your culture. By and large, that's a truism, Okay is that uh, in the scriptures is that you were not married until you did what was required to be married. And in our culture, that would mean you got to get a marriage license, you got to have a ceremony. That's when you become married. You don't become married in the back seat of your car when your passions are overflowing. Oh, we love each other and we're married in God's sight. Uh-uh, that's a sin. And so what we see here is we see that God... It's best for you is to wait until you're married. The Bible calls this fornication. That's what fornication is. It's having sex, sexual relationships, all the different forms of it. It could be with another woman. It could be a lot of other gross stuff. That's called fornication in the Bible. And let me just say this, young man, is that if you truly love your gal, you're going to wait until your wedding night. You're going to wait because you're going to put her first. And gals, let me just say this to you. If a guy says, well, if you love me, you'll do this. Uh Uh-uh. That's not love. That's lust. He doesn't love you. He lusts you. He wants to use you for his satisfaction. See, what this means is that tell him no and to wait. And if he doesn't give up, go find a better guy. Seriously. Go find a better guy. He's not worthy of you. The second thing here is is that it means is that any kind of sexual relationship when you're married outside of that marriage is a sin as well. And those boundaries and walls are quickly crumbling in our culture today. Threesomes, couples, all kind of stuff. And the deluge is coming. And unfortunately, many Christians thinking that Sex is a joyride looking for that casual entertainment can get sucked in to this same way of thinking. That said, I want to emphasize what we've been emphasizing all along, and that's 
the importance and priority of your relationship with your spouse. As we look at this passage, I want to go back to that last sentence there where it says, let her breasts fill you at all times with the light. Be intoxicated always in her love. I know many of your minds got stuck on the first part where I talked about boobs, right? I had a pastor one time, his daughter came, and he was evaluating our service, our church, for graduation from the ministry, brought his teenage daughter, and she said, Dad, I can't believe the pastor talked about breasts. God talks about them. In fact, I wish that more parents would talk to their kids about the realities and the dangers that exist in our culture just instead of just hoping that they'll learn it from their friends or the Internet. Come on, what are they going to get? You know what they're going to get. They're going to get a warped perspective on this. But you see, everybody gets stuck on the first part of that phrase, let her breasts fill you uh, at all times with delight, but we miss the second part. What does it say? Let's read that second part together. Help me out here. Be intoxicated always in her love. It's talking about the relationship. It's talking about the emotional connection that goes along with the, uh, with the physical connection. It's speaking of a spiritual connection that happens when a man and a woman come together and why God says it's sacred for the marriage relationship. I want to read you a story from the book, uh, a couple statements. And the first one comes from a wife. And it talks about the, the, the value of relationships and how love inflicts no pain. It, it begins this way. It says, she was weeping. He speaks of a, of a woman, a wife coming to him. He says, she was weeping uncontrollably. She says, I've got to have help, she said. I can't take it anymore. Last night, he pushed me onto the couch and gave me 30-minute lecture on how it was my fault that our children were not doing well in school. That, it, that if I would help them do their homework, they would make better grades. He accused me of watching television when I should be helping the children. I don't know how he could accuse me of that. He's never home in the evening. He's always having a drink with his buddies and talking about sports. I don't get any help from him in rearing the children. He comes home at 10 or 11 o'clock at night and he wants to have sex. It's unbearable, exclamation mark. But if I refuse, he goes into a rage, so I go along with it, but I hate it. This is a statement of, of, of what happens when, when sex becomes a matter of fulfilling our own needs. And he goes on to talk about that, how, how love is other-centered, how love does not inflict pain. But as in most situations, there are two sides to every story. And that husband needed to make some changes, but so did the wife. Listen to this. He goes on to say this later in the chapter. In most marriages, emotional pain is rarely one-sided. Failing to love and respect each other typically leads to condemning and berating each other. For example, the husband of the woman we met at the beginning of this chapter had this to say. She is so critical of me, and what she says is not true. I don't hang out with the boys every night. One night a week, we enjoy Monday night football together, but the rest of the week, I'm at home working in the yard or on the house. They were in the process of restoring an old home. Nothing I do is good enough for her. She blames me for all of our problems. I know I shouldn't have pushed her on the couch, but I had had enough. 
When she told me it was my fault that the children were not doing well in school, I exploded. I didn't get an education. I can't help the children. She could help them, but instead she watches television and smokes cigarettes, which I hate. The smoke is killing all of us. Is this maybe an exaggerated example of the tension in your physical relationship? I want you to consider God's desire that sex is not the same as making love. That making love, while it includes the physical act of sex, is built upon developing an intimate relationship with your spouse. And I want to just share with you just some insights that will help you in making love become relational. You ready for this? Go ahead and write this down in your outline. The first one is making love takes time. Now, sex can be quick. There's nothing wrong with quickies. Uh, nothing wrong with that. But uh, we're not necessarily talking about clock time here. But what we're talking about is, is that if you're going to make love, rather than just casual entertainment, fulfillment of your own needs, it's going to be because you spend time relationally cultivating that relationship with each other. It's interesting, in, um, in Deuteronomy 24, verse 5, God gives this instruction to his people. Listen to what he says here. When a man is newly married, he shall not go out with the army or be liable for any other public duty. So he's, he's kind of exempted from, from, from cultural responsibilities when he gets married. Okay? And it goes on to that. He goes on to say, He shall be free at home one year to be happy with his wife whom he has taken. Interesting, isn't it? is that what God is saying here is in order for this relationship to to lay a solid foundation to be built upon, that the new husband and the new wife need time. They need to develop their relationship. They need to, to learn about each other. They need to figure some of these things out, and it will never happen if they are distracted by other cultural responsibilities in life. Unfortunately for many of us is that we become distracted and we neglect the relationship and then we're frustrated when there's no sex. There's some many differences here. Uh, it says this, the reality is most couples come to discover mutual sexual fulfillment in less than a year, which is true. You, if you work at it, 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 it comes and you get better at it. Uh, and as a couple must grow together intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually, must also grow together sexually. There's several ways, reasons why this takes time. First of all, go ahead and write this down. God has wired the husband and the wife differently. Uh, a wife's desire is more tied to her emotions than her husband is. She's looking for kind words. She's looking for, for the hug and the acknowledgement physically. Uh, the, these emotional components of the relationship. If she feels loved, it's easier for her to, to cultivate that sexual intimacy. If she does not feel loved, then guess what? The desire chills. The husband, on the other hand, he's wired uh, uh, to, to the physical aspect of intimacy. 
And when a wife responds physically, uh, and, and he, he, he fails to see the value, that's why there can often be a fight, a tension in the relationship, and the husband 30 minutes later is wanting to get between the sheets, and the wife says, I just can't do it. It's because of the differences in the way that God has wired the man and the woman. But I will say this, just as a husband can use nice words and, and, and work on the relationship, the wife can also respond physically. Because what I've discovered over the years in my own relationship and in working with other couples is that, that this discussion kind of, if you can picture a mountain, on the one side, the wife, she moves up the mountain to the point of the physical relationship. But the guy, he begins at the top and works down from it. And it takes working together, learning each other, and both can make a difference. The wife responding to the husband's need will help him to respond to her, but the husband being kind and gentle with the wife will help her to respond to him. The difference in the difference in the way we're wired. Here's the second one. Uh, and you guys get this if you're married, you're stimulated differently, right? I mean, anything turns a guy on. There's a doorknob, he gets turned on, right? Whereas for gals, it's completely different. They're not turned on by sight. But again, it's that, that emotional response that takes place. There's another difference there, the physical hardware. And uh, the biological way that, the, that women are put together and that men are put together is completely different. There are physical aspects, you can do the research on this, that, that drive a man to need sex more than the wife does. But there's also aspects in a wife's biology that, that kind of hinder that, the sex, the time of the month, different things like that. There are these components. And so there are physical, there are, are physiological differences that exist. And then finally, go ahead and write this down, is, is, that, is that we respond to the act differently. Uh, the wife tends to be slow and, and a lasting experience where the husband is quick and explosive. You know, and, and that's a huge difference. And, and those are things that have to be learned and self-control has to be learned and you have to work through and there has to be compromise. The second thing I want us to see is, is that not only does making love take time, but that it is voluntary. It's voluntary. It can be incredibly tempting when your needs are not being met and you are frustrated to attack your spouse. I've even been in conversations with couples where one of the spouses has used the Bible as a club to try to get their spouse to perform. And that's a violation of what God desires in making love as opposed to having sex. Making love is voluntary. And it's on the part of each spouse being responsible to do their part for the benefit of their partner. It's not a matter of these truths in the Bible being a club that you can use to get your partner to do, your spouse to do what you want them to do. In fact, look at uh, one of the well-known ones in 1 Corinthians 7 through through 5. It says this, The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. Who's God speaking to here? Help me out here. 
Come on, who's he speaking to? He's speaking to the husband, right? And who does he say is responsible for meeting the needs of his wife? The husband. We are, right? It's not the wife speaking to the husband. It's God speaking to the husband saying, listen, dude, you're responsible to meet the needs of your wife. There's differences there. You've got to learn what those are. You've got to, got to cultivate that relationship. You're responsible for that. Goes on to say, and likewise, the wife to her husband. It's not the husband beating the wife saying, well, if you were a good Christian wife, you would do this more often. No. But the wife is responsible to take responsibility to minister to the needs of her husband. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but his wife does. And this is really important to get. He's saying here is is that as a married couple, your body belongs to your spouse. So often people will say, well, I I don't want to make love. Well, you're, you're actually disobeying God in the sense that he's calling you. It's a voluntary choice. You have the choice to say yes or no. But But what you need to realize is that because you're married, you have responsibility to your spouse. The husband to the wife, the husband shouldn't withhold sex from the wife, and the wife shouldn't withhold it from the husband. There needs to be this relationship here. And he goes on to tell us why, and this is really important in our culture today. He says, do not deprive each other except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourself to prayer, but then come together again. You know what? If there's going to be a time where you don't have sex because of the time of the month or other issues, make sure that it's not permanent. Make sure it's not permanent. Why? Why? Look at what it says here. So that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. This is incredible stuff. We live in a very sex-obsessed culture. And when a husband is loving his wife relationally, that's going to keep her from being tempted by the kind words and attention of another man. I've I've talked to tons of guys. He says, I don't know what happened. The wife goes off and has an affair. And by the way, it used to be that just the men had a problem with this, but now statistically the women are a greater problem in this area now than men. And the part of the problem is is that men, they're not getting the emotional connection relationally with you at home. And so somebody, a neighbor, a co-worker, boy, you look nice today. Boy, you did a good job on that project. Complimentary and supportive. And guess what happens? Step by step, it's not like, hey, somebody just says, oh, I'm going to have an affair. No, it, it just happens gradually. Same thing with guys. And the same thing happens on the other end of the spectrum with a guy. When his wife isn't meeting his needs, guess what? Somebody else out there who shouldn't be is willing to do that. Now, all I'm saying is is that this is not an excuse for for your your wayward behavior, but what God is saying here is that, listen, you've got to get this right, guys and gals, is that you've you, you got to be able to make love. You've got to have this relationship. It's more than sex. It's about the relationship. And it's about both of you laying down your swords and ministering to each other because this is God's design. 
But you must understand it's voluntary. You cannot force your spouse to respond the way you want them to. But you can, you can begin to do your part and work on yourself and trust them to come through. There's a third aspect to this, and I want you to write this down, and it's that making love is a commitment. Uh, Chapman in his book points out a truth that many couples that wind up in divorce miss. He tells of, of one wife that states, I feel like my husband does not love me. He treats me like trash. Uh, then he wants me to have sex with him. I don't understand that. I can't have sex with a man that does not love me. And on the other hand, many husbands have experienced a similar type of frustration. One, it's summed up in one husband's comment where he says, we had sex, but I felt like it was, I was with a corpse. And what these two statements point out is the need for love in the relationship, the need for commitment. In Ephesians 5.33, it says this, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So often what couples fail to grasp is the need of commitment. There's really two stages of love. I love the way that Chapman pulls this together in the book. He talks about the two stages of love. Every one of us has experienced that first stage of love. That emotional excitement, the emotional high you get from connecting with another person. It's interesting, I, uh, in working with couples, especially before they're married, and especially as we do like church activities and stuff, they can't stop hanging on each other. It's like, come on, give us a break, right? The PDAs. And, and that's what this is about. There's not enough hours in the day. You can't get enough of the other person. But what many couples fail to realize is that this phase does not last, is that eventually reality will set in and they will return to the person who they really are and their partner will return to the person they really are. I've heard it illustrated this way, is that when a guy and a gal come together, what happens is that they change. And that's why when you're dating and when you're first together, it is incredible. You're like perfectly made for each other. But over time, what happens is that reality begins to set in and you begin to go back to who you really are. And that connecting point is lost. And this is when most couples wind up looking for satisfaction in other areas or pursuing a divorce because they will say, I no longer love this person. And you know what they're missing is they're missing the need to move on to stage two which is commitment. And this level of love requires us to be more realistic and it requires work. It does not come naturally. It requires you to embrace your spouse that is not perfect and to embrace that you are not perfect either. This stage of love is based on a conscious commitment I've not said this in our series yet, but I say it all the time, is when you come to this stage of love, you remove the D word, divorce, from your conversation and from your thoughts. Because love 
is not about feelings, and feelings do come and go, but love is about commitment. And that's where you have to draw the line and say it is off limits and banned, that conversation. In Carol and I's relationship, we have banned the divorce word and the divorce thoughts. And if one person brings it up, and we don't use the word D word anymore, we're a little bit more crafty than that, we'll say, well, maybe you would be happy with somebody else. <laughs> That's the same thing, right? It's the same thing when you say that, right? And we have to say, whoa, whoa, time out. No, we're committed to the relationship. Let's work through our challenges and our issues. That's the second stage of love, my friends. Some of you are beating your head against the wall because you're trying to make your spouse be something that God never intended them to be. Rather than working together, working on the relationship, growing together, and moving from phase one to phase two, which is a commitment. Understanding that you're not perfect and they're not perfect. That's what love is really all about. I want to read this story as the worship team comes and gets ready here. I love this testimony by one husband. He says this, In the early days of our marriage, we struggled greatly. I find myself with negative feelings towards my wife. She did not live up to my expectations, and I'm sure she would have said the same about me. I finally decided that I did not marry the perfect woman and that she did not marry the perfect man. It's true we had our differences, but I didn't marry her to make her miserable. I wanted us to learn to work together as a team and enjoy life together and rear our children in a loving home. So I decided to ask God to help me be a good husband. The next Sunday, our pastor spoke about husbands, and he read the verse that says that we're supposed to love our wives as Christ loved the church. So I figured that God was speaking and answering my prayer. So I asked God to show me how to love my wife. And the first thought that came to mind was, well, why don't you ask her? And the courage of this man, he says this, so I did. That afternoon, I said to her, I want to become the best husband in the world. And I'm asking you to teach me how. Once a week, I want you to tell me one thing that would make me a better husband. And I will work on it. She was eager to help. (laughs) He said with a smile. Within two months, she asked him to give her ideas on being a better wife. That was 15 years ago, he says. We now have a great marriage. Both of us are happy. And then when the counselor asked them, well, what about the sexual aspect of your marriage? He responded with a twinkle in his eye. It couldn't be better. My friends, that's what God desires for your relationship, is making it more than just about sex about the physical relationship, about casual entertainment, looking for the next thrill, the next ride. But he's talking about building a relationship that includes both of these. Time together, understanding the differences, working together, 
helping your spouse rather than holding out. You see, that's what making love is all about. It's about committing to the relationship. Maybe you're stuck in stage one this morning. Could I encourage you to move to stage two? To make that commitment. Maybe you want to take that challenge of the man that of the story I've just read. At least begin by asking God to help you change. To know what you should do. And maybe if you're strong enough, humble yourself and ask your spouse to help you become a better wife or a better husband. You see, that's what living happily ever after is all about. It's not about how many times you jump between the sheets. It's about how close you grow together. And that requires commitment and work and sacrifice and forgiveness and humility. What would God have you to do this morning? Lord, I stop to thank you for this text and this message. I thank you for the book that's just challenges me and knocks my socks off. And I know that there's a challenge here for all of us as couples. Father, help us, prevent us, keep us from thinking about how what I just shared applies to our spouse. But help us, Lord, to be people of integrity and to just say, Lord, this message is for me. What is it, Lord, that you would have me to do? Lord, what do I need to do to move my marriage from being just about the physical act to be about truly making love in the biblical sense? Thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy. Thank you for just your patience with us. Thank you for the way that you never give up on us and And I pray that we would see that happen in the marriages represented here. Father, just work in our hearts and lives. Help us not to leave here without making a decision to change one area of our lives. Bless our relationships, Lord. May we truly come to discover in the years ahead the glory of making love instead of just settling for sex. We commit our marriages commit ourselves to you in Jesus name and everyone said amen well, let's go ahead and stand the worship team is going to lead us in a song and uh, if you need any help uh, I'm available for you my wife Carol's available for you sometimes it takes some help to sort these things out don't hesitate to ask or to uh, seek out help um, and God will use that in your life. I also forgot to mention that I'm gonna, I need to meet with the property team members after the service, after I greet people. So if you could hang around. I need it's about, about a 10-minute meeting if we could just talk about some things we have to talk about. But I hope you have a great